1: Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. I am Chris Trapasso, flying solo again today. uh, I wanted to give Matthew Collar at least One more episode off as he ties up some loose ends on the free agent front for the Minnesota Vikings. But he will be back for Thursday's episode. In this episode today, it's going to be in correspondence with an article that will be up any minute on Tuesday morning at CBSSports.com, depending on when you're listening to this. I didn't want to say right now. That is all about the plan B and the plan C options in the draft. If your team misses out on a marquee first round, talent and I just writing so much about the top of the draft and the first rounders and the the elite prospects the blue chippers I realized there's got to be so many fan bases out there that are like hey okay we've heard a lot about Jalen Waddell we've heard a lot about Javante Smith we need a receiver we're not going to be able to get either of those two tell me about say, a wide receiver that is similar, maybe not as good, but similar to Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase that my team could get in the second round or the third round or even on day three that can give me something similar to those marquee talents. It's one of my favorite articles I write every year, uh, and hopefully you guys really like it too. I think it's very informative. am going to jump right into it. I'm going to go position by position, start a quarterback. Now, I didn't do a Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson plan B or C. I think I don't really think there's a quarterback prospect, even at plan B, that is similar stylistically to either of those two. But I did highlight Justin Fields. Even though I do like him quite a bit, he's my number three overall player, and number over and number three overall quarterback in this draft class. His flaws to me are pretty clear on film that he holds the ball a little bit too long at times when he's not sure what to do after his first read and that he leans on his legs a little bit more than his arm off script. My plan B option for him, and this is, we're talking second, third round, Davis Mills from Stanford. And I'll get it right out of the way off the, or out of the gate, that he's not the athlete that Justin Fields is. I think Justin Fields might be just a tick behind Trevor Lawrence in terms of being the most capable athlete At the quarterback spot in this draft class, but like Justin Fields, Davis Mills was a a huge recruit coming into the college ranks in 2017. He was the number one overall quarterback in that 2017 recruiting class took him some time like Justin Fields to ultimately get on the field uh, and he has a monstrous arm and it's effortless. He has a very clean delivery, whether it be a 15 yard dig or a downfield throw as he's getting hit, he can really let it rip. And that's the first thing that drew my eye and made me think of the stylistic comparison to Justin Fields for this article. He's not as athletic. He's not going to create off script. There is some scrambling ability, but I do think like Justin Fields as well, there are times where he like doesn't recognize an underneath defender or the fact that there might be a zone defender near where he's throwing a deep over route and that boundary corner can sink away from that zone that he's in to make the interception. He had three picks last year. All of them came in the final game of the season against UCLA. And a lot of those picks were on plays like that where he didn't recognize either an underneath defender or someone sinking in zone. But the talent is big time. He truly is a player that just based on raw talent, has franchise quarterback ability. So he's my plan B for Justin Fields. My plan C, I'll be a little bit quicker with these. Felipe Franks from Arkansas. He was another big recruit, started at Florida, never really lived up to the hype in terms of his accuracy or his decision-making, but transfers to Arkansas for his final season at the college level and really rehabbed his draft stock. Completed over 65% of his passes, 17 touchdowns, four interceptions, I thought he took much better care of the football, even though the offensive line there at Arkansas didn't give him the most help. And I do think at times he holds the football a little bit too long and will take too many sacks. But he's 6'5", over 230 pounds, has an absolute rifle for an arm, and he's a pretty good athlete. He's not someone uh, that's just going to be stoic in the pocket and can't get you a first down on third and six if everything's covered. He has pretty good athleticism in his lower half fourth or fifth round Felipe Franks I think is certainly worth it especially if your team or if you had your sights set on Justin Fields but he ultimately goes in the top five or the top seven running back Travis Etienne and picked him as my plan a pretty much the consensus number one or number two running back on everyone's board my plan B for him is Khalil Herbert I don't really think stylistically he's that similar to etn because he is a lateral bouncy jump cut type of running back that can really like roll off a couple highlight reel type of runs that are only 10 or 15 yard gains like he will make four or five defenders miss on a given run um not as much of a home run hitter as travis etn but I think in this screen game, he can be just as dangerous that because of his vision and the juice in his lower half, he's going to be really good as a receiver out of the backfield. I don't know if he can run routes like Travis Etienne down the field, but Khalil Herbert, very elusive uh, and Oh, a quick stat on him 4.74 yards after contact per rush in 2020. That was tied with Jared Patterson, of Buffalo for the highest yards after contact per rush figure among all running backs at the FBS level who had at least 100 carries. So you know, like ETN with Khalil Herbert, the contact balance is absolutely phenomenal. So third, fourth round, if you miss on Travis ETN, you love Travis ETN, you want your team to pick Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech. And plan C, day three option, sixth, seventh round, maybe even the undrafted ranks, Justin Henderson from Louisiana Tech. Now in 2020. He averaged under 3.5 yards per carry. The Louisiana tech offensive line wasn't nearly as good as it was in 2019. He split carries with another back in 2019. His film was sensational 5.6 yards per carry 15 touchdowns. And stylistically, he might even be more similar to ETN than Khalil Herbert in that he is a slasher. He's not going to sink his hips and jump cut a linebacker in the hole. He will press the front side on his own play, and then subtly hit the cut back lane or or backside. Stays north and south. He's a very efficient runner, good contact balance. He's built a little bit more stocky than Etienne, but the contact balance is there too. Very strong lower half. You always see him falling forward, just like Travis Etienne. So Justin Henderson from Louisiana Tech, because he didn't have a good final season and there wasn't a lot of volume because he split time, don't be surprised if he's undrafted. He actually gave me... Vibes more so than anyone else of James Robinson from Illinois State, who was undrafted but signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars and had a sensational rookie season in 2020. Wide receiver, I went with Jamar Chase. I don't think there's really too many close to Devontae Smith, he's so unique. And Jalen Waddle is just on another planet with his athleticism and his speed. But Jamar Chase, I think there are a few stylistically at the receiver spot who are close to him. Simi Fajoko from Stanford, I think I'm saying that right. 37 grabs, nearly 16 yards per grab this past season, three touchdowns. And with him, while I'm drawing the comparison to Jamar Chase, he's big, he's fast, he's deceptively sudden, and he's very physical both at the line of scrimmage and at the catch point. And that is really the encapsulation of Jamar Chase's game that Jamar Chase doesn't look that fast, but he's running by, or in 2019, he was running by future NFL corners that went in the first and the second round. You know, he won repeatedly in contested catch situations. That's what Fajoko can do uh, and, and did at Stanford. It wasn't a high volume passing offense there. Even with Davis Mills, they wanted to run the football a lot. It's kind of a throwback style there under David Shaw, but he blew away. Uh, you know, I was going to say the competition, but he he uh dropped some jaws at the Stanford Pro Day, like 6'3", 225, uh, ran sub 4'5", four, f- four, uh, had a three cone under seven seconds. And you see it on film that he can take a jerk route underneath, which is pretty impressive for a 6'3", 225 wide receiver to run and then create separation with it. And then after the catch, he's just a horse in the open field, just like Jamar Chase. And I think the pro day performance that he had could push Fajoko into the third round, maybe fourth round, but he's my plan B for Jamar Chase. He's a little bigger. I don't know if he's as dynamic of an athlete, Um, but I think if you use him on slants, on RPOs, Uh, throw him some bubble screens, let him win down the field vertically, deep over routes as well. I think he can be a good uh, consolation prize to Jamar Chase, who's bound to go in the top five or at worst, the top 10. My plan C, Austin Watkins from University of Alabama, Birmingham. He was one so frustrating watching his film that he was held back by what I thought was pretty bad quarterback play. And they didn't feature him nearly enough. The games that they did feature him, he made big plays and the offense was a lot more efficient. and was really clicking. Uh, he has NFL caliber traits. I think he's a very good beating press at the line. He's around six foot two ten, 10, right around the same size as Jamar chase. Very dynamic after the catch uh, flash, the ability to high point the football, get his feet in bounds near the sideline. Even if there was, an oncoming safety. He could take a hit. Um, There is some juice after the catch as well. So I think fifth or sixth round, it won't be surprising if Austin Watkins is still on the board. In 2019, he had over 1100 or almost 1100 yards at more than 19 yards per catch. And that's a lot of what we saw from Jamar Chase that he was repeatedly winning on the vertical route tree beating up press at the line, and then just being deceptively fast and then tracking it fantastically. The 2019 Austin Watkins, if you want to look into him, watch his film from that season where the quarterback play was a little bit better. I think he's flying under the radar, fifth or sixth round. If your team misses on Jamar Chase, Austin Watkins from UAB. My plan C at the receiver spot. Now tight ends. Kyle Pitts, I I had to go with him. He is the plan A for every team. That wants a tight end in this draft class. There's not really anyone like him. He has the biggest, like, at the tight end spot in my grading system. There's the biggest disparity between number one and number two at tight end than there is with any other position in this draft class. It's Kyle Pitts. They actually have Pat Fryer with just a tad ahead of Brevin Jordan. But I didn't want to go with either of those two. That was kind of the low-hanging fruit. I didn't want to say Pat Fryermuth or Brevin Jordan. They're kind of the consensus number two and number three tight ends in this draft class. My plan B, if you miss on Kyle Pitts, Hunter Long from Boston College. Now, we know at Boston College, especially last season with A.J. Dillon, they want to run the football. And they did that a lot even this past season. But Hunter Long in 2019 and 2020 together had nearly... 1,200 yards receiving. Uh, He just does everything really well. He's a pretty good blocker. They used him in line. They used him as an H-back. They split him out a little bit. Uh, And across the board as a receiver, he doesn't wow in, in any way, and certainly Kyle Pitts does. But the fact that they really peppered him a lot of targets and he produced... I think that indicates that he's actually pretty good at getting open and you see it on film that there's times where underneath or at the intermediate level, there's just enough space for the quarterback to fit the ball in. He's not Rob Gronkowski in contested catch situations, but there were some plays in the red zone where you saw him elevate, extend his arms and make tough catches. So I think Hunter Long will be someone, it's kind of hard to peg where he's going to be picked because he's not a crazy athlete, but the production to me speaks for itself. Plan C, we're going deep here. Quinton Morris, Central Michigan. This is the fun time for me in the draft process where we're, we're down into the 200s, late 200s of prospects that I'm watching. Uh, and I find someone that I think is actually a pretty good prospect. Quentin Morris, Central Michigan. First three years there with the Chippewas was a wide receiver. And I was watching a little bit of his earlier film, and I was like, yeah, this looks like a big wide receiver. And then I checked the listing like, oh, he was a wide receiver. They had him bulk up in 2020 to play tight end. He's like listed at 6'4", 251. I don't know if he's even that big. It sapped some of his athleticism and his juice in and out of his breaks. But for a tight end, I think he's one of the few if not the only like late round tight end that can really threaten the scene because he is pretty fast. It's build up speed. There's not a ton of twitch off the line of scrimmage, but there were some catches deep down the scene where you're like, this is a, a game changing play that only if, if he only has two catches for 60 yards in a game and you picked him in the sixth round, you're happy with that. If he has a 40 yard catch um, that is production. That's, really a lot better than most teams can say from their sixth round pick, especially at the tight end spot. It's gotten so difficult to find truly game-breaking tight ends. There's like three in today's NFL. The rest are all kind of glommed together. Quentin Morris, if you need a pass-catching tight end, pick a former wide receiver, and that's what Quentin Morris was. Uh, he's not going to separate a ton on intricate routes, but I did like as well, similar to Kyle Pitts, That Morris can take hits. He's got very strong hands. A lot of times he was catching those posts, skinny posts down the middle of the field, was taking a hit from a safety that was flying downhill, held onto the football. So Quentin Morris, sixth, seventh round, might even go undrafted. Look for him as your plan C option for Kyle Pitts. Offensive tackle, Penny Sewell. I know I didn't go with the obvious ones at quarterback, but I went with the one here for plan A. Everyone wants Penny Sewell. Uh, My plan B, James Hudson from Cincinnati was a recruit at Michigan, started his career at Michigan, but he was recruited there as a defensive end. And then he quickly moved over to offensive line, redshirted, transferred to Cincinnati, and you see serious athleticism on film. He does a lot of quick setting where he kind of just jumps into the defensive lineman instead of kick sliding vertically to kind of be more patient. Uh, And I don't know if I hate that or love that I I like the fact that he's aggressive he's just tapping into his his natural playing style and there's a lot of twitch there's a lot of power a lot of nastiness to his game there are times in traditional pass sets that he's going to have to do at the NFL level where he gets a little over anxious he's just so ready for contact gets out over his feet lunges a little bit Uh, some counter moves can get the best of him but second or third round maybe seconds a little early Uh, But it won't shock me if he goes there because he is a good athlete. Third round, I think he's the type that you want to pick. And you're not thinking super project that we hope can play in year four. I think he has the body and the strength and the the athleticism and and some of the balance to by year two or year three be a quality tackle at the NFL level. I think the athleticism and the tendency to be pretty aggressive reminded me a lot of Penny Sewell. And plan C, I'm going to be alone on an island with this one. Alaric Jackson from Iowa just had his pro day the other day, did not test very well. I don't know what happened to him because I remember watching him when I was watching Tristan Wirfs last year. I was like, Alaric Jackson, that he's the next Iowa blocker that's going to be highly touted. In 2020, his film just wasn't as good. There was a lot more edge rushers pushing him back into the quarterback, but he has an NFL body right now. He's over six foot five, over 320 pounds, very long arms. And I think for that size and that frame, he's a good athlete. Is he a great athlete? Maybe he's a little bit better than how he tested, but is he freaky? No. And he's been very experienced or he is very experienced in the big 10 and most Iowa offensive linemen are very well coached, uh, by that coaching staff. So I I think Alaric Jackson, someone that did have a lot of first and second round buzz as far back as 2018, comes back for two more years uh, and probably will get picked late in the draft. But with his size, his athleticism, the awareness, I think there are some really low level reps on film, but there are also a lot of high level reps on film too. So look for him sixth or seventh round if you miss on Penny Sewell or James Hudson. Interior offensive line, I didn't go guards and centers here. To me, the plan A really is Elijah Vera Tucker. Some people have him as a tackle. I think he would be best at guard. I thought his film was fantastic at tackle this year uh, when they kicked him out from left guard to left tackle there at USC. But I think he's just the consummate pass blocking specialist at the guard spot. My plan B is Kendrick Green, and this is a little bit of a stretch because Kendrick Green is not someone that could play tackle like Elijah Vera Tucker could, but he has versatility like Elijah Vera Tucker that you could play him at center or at guard. He got some burn at the center spot this past season for the fighting Illini. His film's boring, and I mean that with all due respect, and I mean that in a good way with a positive connotation. He just blocks everything. There's a few reps where he looks a little lost, where it's almost like he didn't know his assignment and you're like, "How did he just let that off or that defensive tackle just go right past him into the backfield?" Beyond that, he is a stalwart in the middle. I think he is very naturally strong, very well balanced. You don't see him on the ground very often at all. Um he can really control blockers with his lower half, with torque in the run game. He's going to get out and fine linebackers. He's not over aggressive. He's very methodical in his approach, but then nasty when he needs to be. So because of the versatility, I think your plan B option, second or third round, Kendrick Green, plug and play left or right guard, doesn't matter. Then plan C, Robert Hainsey from Notre Dame. So he's not getting as much hype as Liam Eichenberg. And I don't really know why. Uh, maybe because Eichenberg can probably stay at left tackle. Hainsey played right tackle this past season, and he's probably got to move inside to guard, but he has limited length, and that's why he's got to play guard. But in terms of his suddenness off the ball, his awareness, his head's always on a swivel, and he has the feet and the lower body explosion to get to a stunt or find a blitzing linebacker or find work and help out a teammate to, really destroy a defensive lineman out of the play and very balanced, very well coached. You know that from those Notre Dame blockers, his hands are constantly firing inside uh, very strong grip strength. So I think Robert Hainsey, yeah, he's 6'4", 300 pounds. He needs to gain a little bit of weight to play guard at the next level. But he's played tackle, and if you need him to play there in a pinch, he probably could. Kind of reminds me of Ryan Bates out of Penn State a few years ago. Went in the 6th or 7th round, I believe 7th round. Philadelphia Eagles, they traded him to the Bills, and the Bills have like used him as their swing blocker. They have played him like everywhere when they have needed to. Uh, that's kind of Robert Hainsey. Maybe even he's a little bit more capable, than Ryan Bates, but a similar type guy that I think he's a good athlete. If we would have seen him at the combine, he would have tested very well and just fundamentally sound there in the trenches from Notre Dame. So plan C, Robert Hainsey for the interior offensive line spot. Edge rusher. It was hard to pick a plan A. Aziz Ojolari from Georgia is my edge rusher number one. But in general, I think Quiddy Pay from Michigan is the top edge rusher. My plan B To me, this is the most, he is the most underrated edge rusher in this draft class right now. Eddie Ogundeji from Notre Dame, another Golden Domer here. He is extremely long. He has like 34 and a half inch arms, 6'4, 250, 260, smooth athlete on film. And he knows that he has tentacles for arms. He is constantly making first contact swimming, ripping, using a long arm as a bull rush. He is a technician, but he's also a good athlete. And if you watch either Clemson game or the Alabama game, the, the three outings in which, in which Notre Dame had to face like legitimate offensive lines, Ogundeji was everywhere, whether it be a run play setting the edge or pressuring Trevor Lawrence, pressuring Mac Jones. He is a second round prospect to me. I don't know where he'll go. There's not a lot of buzz. So maybe second or third round, maybe fourth round, but he's my plan B. If you want a good athlete, that's long, that has a pass rushing toolbox and a pass rush plan more often than not, Eddie Ogundeji from Notre Dame. Plan C, William Bradley King from Baylor, Arkansas State transfer. And I liked that he transferred into the Big Twelve to show that he wasn't just beating up on Sun Belt offensive tackles, and he really held his own with the Bears this season. I liked that at the Senior Bowl he sh- again showed that the lights weren't too bright for him, and he's someone that I call an ascending pass rusher because toward the end of the season and then at the Senior Bowl. I saw him use a variety of pass rushing moves that were very effective and very technically sound using those pass rushing moves. Uh, Very compact. He's like 6'3", 255. Another one with long arms and understands that. Has a nice straight arm and converts speed to power around the corner. That kind of reminds me of a lot of what Quiddy Pay gives to you. He's not as, uh, William Bradley King is not as big or physical and probably not as good of an athlete, of course, as Quiddy Pay. But 5th, 6th, 7th round, he's an edge rusher that your team should take a flyer on. Defensive tackle, Christian Barmore, not my number one interior defensive lineman. That's Levi Anwazerke from Washington. But for most people, Christian Barmore is the top defensive tackle. My plan B, Jay Tufele from University of Southern California. Kind of similar that like Barmore, he rushes kind of high. He's a little bit taller for the defensive tackle spot has a good arm over move. Like he loves that swim more than anything else. And it's pretty effective. There are times when he uses it and he's almost standing straight up. So he gives a center or the left guard or the right guard a big target and he gets kind of washed out, especially if it's a run play. But that move is pretty deadly and he does have a good quick first step off the snap. So he's going to win through a gap with the quickness and with that arm over move, similar to Christian Barmore. Barmore is a a better run defender, Um, but I think Tufelli gives you the high energy and, and some of those characteristics. Third, fourth round, maybe even he goes in the second because of his pass rushing prowess. I think you can get similar contributions from Jay Tufeli that you can get from Christian Barmore. And plan C, Darius Stills from West Virginia. And with this, he's shaped completely differently than Christian Barmer Barmore's like 6'5 310. Darius Stills is like 6 foot 290 or something like that. He, he's very stocky. I'm not sure about his weight. But he I think is the most agile defensive tackle in this draft class. That like he can jump from gap to gap like he's a running back. Has a good arsenal of pass rushing moves and pretty strong and I think he taps into all of his inherent strength because he's built so low to the ground. So Darius stills plan C there is some buzz for him, but I don't think because of his length limitations and that he's not super powerful. Um, I don't think he's going to go super early, but Darius stills plan C for Christian Barmore is the plan a at the interior defensive tackle spot linebacker. Michael Parsons is gotta be the plan. A I mean, he's the consensus top off ball linebacker plan B was really Easy for me. Jamin Davis. Jamen Davis. I heard someone say Jamin Davis. Jim, I think Jamin sounds cooler. Jamin Davis, Kentucky, but I will get that right before the draft. Uh, similar size to Micah Parsons, like 6'3, 6'4, 235, 240. He looks like an oversized safety playing off-ball linebacker. And like Micah Parsons, he is very rangy. He's sudden. There's some twitch to his game. Not amazing beating blockers, but he can do it. And the difference between these two, so like size-wise and athletically, I think they're somewhat close, especially their size. Micah Parsons on third down is best, putting his hand in the dirt and rushing off the edge. And that's a unique trait for an off-ball linebacker to have and to be effective doing so once he gets to the NFL level. Jamin Davis, I think, can cover. I think he's very good in zone because he cast such a wide net with how high, he can jump with his reach, with his athleticism. And I think he can run with some tight ends down the field. So Jammin Davis, plan B, the linebacker from Kentucky. Plan C, Justin Hilliard from Ohio State. I know Baron Browning is the more marquee Ohio State off-ball linebacker in this draft class. He's probably going to go ahead of Justin Hilliard um, because Hilliard had a lot of injuries during his time at Ohio State. But when he was on the field, they used him as their outside linebacker that would kick out to slot defender and he would have to cover slot receivers and tight ends and blitz off the edge. And to me, that was an immediate indicator that that Ohio state defensive coordinator, their coaching staff understood how good of an athlete Justin Hilliard is. And I mean, there are plays, especially in that college football playoff that he looked like the most explosive player on the field, even against Alabama. I mean, discounting Jalen Waddell and, Devontae Smith, but in terms of, uh, front seven pieces, uh, J- uh, Justin Hilliard, I almost said Jim Davis. Again, Justin Hilliard was super explosive, chasing backs from the weak side, uh, blitzing some plays in coverage as well. I think he has the physical and athletic traits and the instincts to be a very good value pick on probably the third day of the draft. Two more positions, cornerback Caleb Farley. Probably at this point the consensus cornerback number one maybe Patrick Sertan for a lot of people. Caleb Farley is my cornerback number one. Uh We did hear that news that he has to have like uh, a procedure on his back, and that was a uh, an issue in the past. So it'll be interesting to see if that really hinders his draft stock or or makes it drop a little bit. My plan B for Caleb Farley: Afeatu Melafanu from Syracuse. This is a little bit. Uh, of a cherry pick because I think Malafanu could sneak into the first round. We saw the pro day. We saw the numbers from the Syracuse pro day, like ran sub four, five uh, jumped over 41 or over 40 inches, had a crazy long broad jump good in the three cone and the short shuttle. I thought his film looked like that. It looked like he was a hyper athletic outside corner at over six foot and well over 200 pounds. So maybe, In the second round, uh, you could get Melifon, who that can be your plan B to Caleb Farley. And plan C, another kind of a cherry pick, Eric Stokes from Georgia. He could go in the end of the first round as well. There, There really just wasn't anyone I thought stylistically was that similar to Caleb Farley being this over six foot athletic boundary corner. But Stokes, to me, he is as good in man as he is in zone. And there are splash plays in both littered across his film there at Georgia He's six foot he's around 200 pounds he's very fast down the field a lot of the big plays that he did give up I think were perfect passes and amazing contested catches but there were a lot of those splash plays and you know um, you know that athleticism and that length and the coverage versatility definitely translates to the next level at safety finishing up uh, trayvon mooring is the easy plan a here he is I don't know of anyone that doesn't have Trayvon Mooring as safety number one. Although for me, Richie Grant from UCF who we'll get to in a minute is not that far behind him on my big board. Uh, but I went with the two corner or the two safeties that I think are the number three and the number two safety uh, in this draft class. My plan B Andre Cisco, He's my number three safety. I think he's going to go ahead of Richie Grant, which is why he's my plan B, not my plan C. Um, his film is spectacular. I think he checks all the boxes of what I want from a safety today. I mean, he is coming off the torn ACL, but he's got a stocky frame. He's built like a linebacker, but he moves like he is one of the rangiest free safeties I've ever scouted. He's close to Malik Cooker on the back end. Are there times where he's a little over aggressive against play action? Yeah, sure. Uh, but I think he's a great tackler. There's a lot of thumps downhill on outside runs so if he's back to 100% and at this point a torn ACL early in the season you're gonna be back by the next season Andre Cisco, I think has the type of game-changing ability not just against the run and they used him in the box a lot we I, I was surprised watching his film I knew the interception figures coming in when I watched his film early on and then I kept seeing him in the box making play after play It's kind of this like nickel linebacker and then you see him as a free safety just range all over the field super sudden and very fast and you know the ball skills are there so Andre Cisco from Syracuse maybe second round maybe third that's your plan b to Trayvon Mooring I don't think they're that dissimilar as players plan c Richie Grant um, a lot of the appeal for Trayvon Mooring is the fact not only that he has the range from the deep middle which is fun and it's it's uh what you want when you're playing someone at, at the deep middle, like it's a very highlight real worthy type of attribute to have, but Mooring's all over the field. He plays robber um, and will hit people on underneath routes. He'll run the alley from the deep middle and meet a running back at the corner before he can turn the corner. That's Richie Grant. Richie Grant is everywhere. And every time I write about him, that's what I continue to go back to that. They played him in the slot twitchy enough to cover legitimately quick slot receivers. They used him as a robber, uh, fantastic with his instincts, with disguising where he was going to be, uh, getting to those overroutes, those inbreakers. And then from the deep middle, I saw him make plays toward the sideline showing that range. So there's not quite as much buzz, in my opinion, for Richie Grant as there is Andre Cisco. But you could really reverse these two because if teams are a little bit scared off, from Andre Sisko's, uh torn knee ligament, Richie Grant could go ahead of him. And I know that Richie Grant had a fantastic week at the senior bowl. I don't know if he's going to be like a five or a six interception per season type of safety, which I guess if you're doing that on a yearly basis, you're going to go to the hall of fame, but, I do think like Trayvon Mooring, he's going to be a high tackle guy. He's going to give you tons of versatility that your defensive coordinator will absolutely love him because he can really do it all. He can play linebacker. He can play as that slot defender, and you can move him out and let him play free safety and just roam the deep middle and get to the sideline and make sure there's no big plays over the top for your defense. So those are all the plan A's, the plan B's, and the plan C's uh, for those marquee draft prospects. The plan A's obviously are the marquee ones, plan B and plan C. Um, so look for that article. I have more information, more research and statistics now up at cbsports.com. But that will do it for me today. I am Chris Trapasso. Thank you so much for listening to the Prospect Podcast. If you can subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends about this podcast. We're going to crank things up as we're just a little bit over a month away from the 2021 NFL draft in Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you again so much for listening.